Welcome to the Stanley Street Social presented by MAP. My name is Alex Clements and if you haven't checked out MAP's apparel lately on their website at map.cc, they've got a new Eco Pro base color as well as the Force Pro long sleeve jersey in ivy. Their kit in winter is superb. It is class A and especially riding around the cool Melbourne suburbs at the moment, it is exactly what you need. Today on the podcast, we're launching a new little mini-series with Lumen Wellbeing, a company we've partnered with to look at what the future of cycling holds, how the sport will survive COVID-19, how the sport will come out the other end, and what the sport needs to do to thrive in the next five to ten years. We've partnered with Lumen Wellbeing because of their origins, really. We started, we connected with them through their original company, Lumen Sports, which works with NTT, Cycling Australia High Performance Unit, some of the football clubs here in Australia to take mountains of data, the huge amounts of different data points that athletes have or teams have and consolidate it to something that's consumable for leaders to consume, take action on, um, and get a better understanding of their athletes. But now this partnership's come about through their, their newer company, Lumen Wellbeing, which takes that same mentality, that same structure of taking employee data and putting it into some something that a business leader can consume and take action on to partner and present this series. If you want to read a bit more about Lumen Wellbeing, head to their website, lumenwellbeing.com, or they'll be tagged in all our social posts. So check them out at Stanley Street Social, uh, as well as I'll put the web link in the notes of this podcast description. So episode one is with Tom Kingsley. He's the associate partner at EY Sports Industry Group in based out of the UK. We talked to him about returning to sport, the work that he's been doing with different bodies to make that happen and facilitate it. We then talk about the revenue model, what, how that potentially hinders cycling, but is also an opportunity at the same time. And then we wrap things up around what the sport, what he believes the sport needs to do to thrive in the next five to 10 years. I hope you enjoy this series and uh, please let us know what you think on socials, uh, share it with your friends and we look forward forward to presenting episode two and in terms of sport um you mentioned you've been working with a few different bodies on on e- making that transition back into back to where we were i guess at the start of the year what's what's the general consensus there are they worried are they concerned are they confident <laughs> great question probably in all honesty in many ways, a combination of all three of those. So if you think about the reaction that that sport has taken and, you know, partly has had to take and partly has taken itself, it broadly follows, you know, it very much follows the sort of the public, the, the reaction on the public health. Sport by its very nature brings people together. So immediately it was always going to be a challenge when you're dealing with uh you know w- with a disease that by by its very nature transmits much more readily when people are together than when they're apart 
so sport was obviously identified very early as being a, a, a real challenge for that as countries started to lock down um what's been interesting is that is the way that sport you know what the impact on those sporting bodies has been as the lockdown has come those sporting bodies that you know that clearly you know rely on on bringing fans together into spaces you know we're talking stadium sports we're talking soccer we're talking rugby which you know as we're moving into the cricket season in the northern hemisphere we're talking cricket all of those kind of stadium-based sports have faced real real difficulties as events have been cancelled or postponed pushed back and so forth there's very few sports there's very few sporting bodies wimbledon being one of them but there's very few that have managed to you know that that had um financial insurance in place to deal with this so apart from those one or two that that, that have been able to um effectively you know financially mitigate you know that the income tap has been turned off almost overnight you know fans have not been able to come to stadiums the sport has not been able to operate you know in most cases the sports were suspended mid-season leaving you know challenges around the integrity of finishing the season challenges around you know financial challenges around you know what do we do with broadcast money that's either been paid for for events that have yet to be to be take place and therefore broadcast or in or in other cases broadcast money that hasn't yet been handed over but at its purest form you know the income tap was turned off overnight uh, the sport was turned off overnight and yet the cost side of the equation was still going on athletes were still being paid people who worked in those organizations still needed to be paid and so forth so so sport has had a very hard time of it at you know in, in the beginning phase of this and you know at ey we talk about the now the next and the beyond so it's very much you know dealing with the initial shock um and and sport has had to deal with that initial shock very quickly and that initial shock was very hard i think all sports are now starting to deal with the recovery phase the next phase if you like so having to a greater or lesser de degree dealt with that initial shock and taken advantage of all of the the government incentives in the various markets that they're able to take advantage of with regard to their their people their athletes you know their assets and so forth um you know almost to go into hibernation mode if you like what we're now starting to see is across the board sport is starting to plan for the recovery now it's inevitable that that recovery is almost certainly going to start with a you know behind closed doors approach so how can sport start to get itself back together again and start playing again without fans in stadiums obviously very uh you know we've seen what's going on in germany as a as a sort of start of this really where they've resumed the uh, the top you know the football season all matches are being played they're being played behind closed doors they've got very strict protocols in place around the testing of players on a very regular basis to enable them to do that and fans are having to come to terms with the fact as are the athletes themselves that you know for a period we're going to be in a very different way of doing things and that sport very much is going to be done you know without fans mm. What's um, 
thinking, I guess, level up business world, sponsorship world, uh, management that are in charge of those, those kind of the deals that they have in place or looking at renegotiating those, renegotiating those deals. What, what kind of feeling are you getting from that level of, uh, those kind of people? So sports, sport has three primary uh, forms of income. So it has fans through the gate for most sports. We'll come on to what that means for cycling in a minute that doesn't have fans through the gate. But anyway, um, so you've got fans through the gate. Now that's, that's stopped and is likely to be stopped for the foreseeable future. Now that's going to be driven by public health first and foremost by the you know by the various public health authorities first and foremost as to when fans can come back into into stadiums to watch the sport that they love but essentially that income has been turned off for the foreseeable future the other two forms of income are broadcast and sponsorship um the and so from that perspective there are um all of those are subject to contract all of those contracts are uh, will obviously be individual between the sponsor or the broadcaster and the and 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 the specific sport, the specific rights holder. So all of those contracts will have, um, you know, a period to go. Some will be closer to the conclusion of that period than others. Some will allow for, you know, it will, you know, it, it is about looking at the contract in detail on an individual basis number one but number two each of those contracts essentially are an exchange of uh, resource most usually money but not always money uh, in return for a delivery of product by the sport and clearly that product is not currently it is now in germany with football but but primarily that product is not currently being delivered so it's only right and proper that both sides of that you know particular equation are looking very closely at um how they can either get the product up and running as quickly as possible in order to you know be able to continue that or indeed looking at, at what the implications are if they don't um it would it would be genuinely hard to sort of comment on individual situations because you know not party to those individual situations but i think i think it's clear that whether you're a sponsor or a broadcaster or a rights holder your primary concern is to try and get sport going again because that's what everybody wants in you know if you're if you're trying to negotiate a new contract if you're trying to negotiate a renewal of a contract then it's a particularly challenging period but if you are sort of midway through a sponsorship contract if you're midway through a broadcast contract then i think you know the the opportunity there is very much that you know the will there is very much to try and work out a way that is entirely amenable to all parties because ultimately everybody wants sport to get going again in some form or other for a whole variety of reasons but you know contracts that have plenty of time to run i think by and large 
they should be able to sort of find find a, a find resolution because ultimately everybody wants the same thing on the athlete pay the product isn't there using example of cycling the product isn't there it's they've they've done versions of it online but all in all the Giro isn't being raced, Tour de France isn't being raced, the spring classics are off. How do you view athlete pay when in very in a very cycling manner? Some teams are still getting full freight, others have taken a huge pay cut, and some are on a deferred wage. Do you think that cut should have been passed on? Or where where does that sit? I think the first thing is that to say is that you know we are in it's it's easy to say and 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 it's quite often said about things but we are truly in unprecedented times you know we the definition of unprecedented means we've not seen this before and we've not seen this before so you know i think i think to ask whether whether those cuts should have been passed on or not is 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 a difficult question to ask really i think each ultimately each if we you know if we're talking about cycling specifically each team has to make come to its own conclusions with its own riders in the same way that each business in the economy has to come to its own conclusions with its own employees and its own staff those conclusions will be based on Firstly, you know, income coming in and an income flow and a pipeline of income and, and what that looks like going forwards. Secondly, on the basis of kind of reserves in the business and ability to pay and how long do we have the ability to pay whilst that income tap is turned off. Um, and by the same token, from a, you know, from an individual athlete basis, you know, the propensity to be able to accept pay cuts uh, will again come down to individual circumstances. So some, some, you know, some athletes will have a greater ability to accept, you know, to share some of the pain, if you like, than others, simply based on their own personal, personal basis. But at the end of the day, it's it's probably a harsh thing to say, but it is a reasonably straightforward mathematical equation that you know if if the income isn't there and or if the cash reserves aren't there then <laughs> then it becomes you know impossible to continue to pay out at the same rate that you've previously been paying out at if you're an employer if you're an employee um you know if you are unable to deliver your service to your employer in the same way then um you know but it's not your fault that you're unable to do that then you know then you've then you've equally got you know a, a, a difficult a, a difficult situation there but the, the reality is it's an incredibly challenging situation for any organization anywhere in the world that you know <laughs> that employs people and and a cycling team is no different you know at the end of the day a cycling team is a business it has income it has costs and you know 
in normal times you might say you know those costs are uh are acceptable because the the team has configured its business such that you know it's able to deliver you know it's able to pay out those costs on the basis of income if the income dries up it's only going to be so much time that it can continue to pay out so incredibly difficult and i think each circumstance is is going to be a bit different for each team and each rider to be honest can you see the european countries combining that shared interest of getting sport back on to open up that travel for athletes we've seen a couple of examples of um because cycling i guess compared to the german soccer example there's rise all over the world um colombia's shut their borders and there's talk of whether some of the best climbers in the world can make it back to europe by the end of the year or not can you see can you see that happening I knew I was going to get a chance to use my favorite phrase of the, of, of, of the lockdown in relation to sport, you know, sport is the most important of the least important things, Alex. So, you know, so is it, is it uppermost? Is it, is it front of mind for a lot of people? Absolutely. It is because sport is a passion point and it will always remain a passion point. The supply and the demand, either side of that passion point, you know, changes, ever evolves. And, you know, the impact of, of what we're living through at the moment is going to, you know, in some cases dramatically change that. But as a passion point, it will always remain. However, there are clearly much bigger things at stake here than, you know, whether, a, you know, whether a race can take place in a particular country or not notwithstanding the fact that for the the individuals who are involved in that particular race in a particular country it's very important in the grand scheme of things it's not that important so you know whether your colombian mountain climber can get back to europe in time for you know the first couple of races that are scheduled in august is not really going to be uppermost in the minds of the people who are dictating the guidelines on this clearly that will be uppermost in the minds of the colombian mountain climbers and indeed their you know their their teams and, and so forth but ultimately you know it does come down to the fact that um you know that that, that, that we're being going to have to be dictated to by the by the public health situation here and of course from that respect cycling faces faces a challenge that a lot of other sports don't so the german as you you know as you said the german football league it's you know in relative terms reasonably straightforward to get it back up and running because it's a domestic football league albeit it has clearly it has players from around the world who are employed by the clubs involved but broadly speaking it's a self-contained uh competition and it's relatively easy to put in safeguards around it but you're absolutely right when you're talking about the sport of cycling which you know is a traveling caravan at the best of times and moves around the world and um you know 
what's fascinating about the calendar that's being um, that's being put together is actually um, it will be fascinating to see just how many of those races ultimately are able to take place because we could be in a position where you know a race can happen in Italy because the public health guidelines in Italy allow a race to happen with all the sort of safeguards that are put around it and what happens with fans and so forth is you know you know etc but you know a race the next week that was scheduled to happen in another part of Europe can't happen because the public health guidelines haven't been relaxed to the extent that a race could take place and therefore you know at very short notice the teams have to then sort of switch their plans and 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 you know go elsewhere or indeed as you say you know individual riders could be could have real problems getting anywhere i mean at the moment you know any anything that happens after i, I think the date is june the 8th um you know at the moment anybody arriving into the uk uh, after june the 8th is going to have to self-isolate for 14 days and go into quarantine so you know if you if you have individual countries that have individual guidelines like that it's going to create enormous challenges for moving uh sports athletes around europe around the world in order to participate in events so it's a it's a huge disruption mm. in terms of cycling itself compared to the its sporting competitors its other the other big sporting leagues around the world how do you how do you think it'll fare how do you think cycling will handle this turbulence or this unex, unseen environment and how do you think it will come out the other end there's a great question i think um i think if you look at the i guess cycling as a cycling as a sport Clearly, clearly for those taking part in cycling, you know, in the peloton, you, you, you know, but by definition, you can't be socially distant in a peloton. You can't, you, there's, you know, you can't perform in the sport itself with, you know, and be socially distant. You can in golf, but you can't in cycling. You can't in most sports. You probably could in cricket, actually, but you can't in most sports. But what you can do uh always easier to do in cycling than in most sports from a fan perspective is that you can provide uh, a fan experience that is by and large similar to the fan experience pre-covid if you like now you can't have the scenes that you get in the mountain stages of the big european uh cycle races where you've got you know hundreds thousands of fans you know shoulder to shoulder going up a mountain you know etc but you can provide some sort of fan experience in a in a way that would conform with the public health guidelines and of course the experience of following cycling if you're not there live broadly speaking is going to remain unchanged or at least not significantly changed let's put it that way whereas a stadium sport for example clearly you know the physical game of football 
uh, itself remains unchanged, but the but you know part of the you know significant part of the experience uh, comes from the interaction between the players and the spectators and the fans and so forth. So. So there's, you know, there's, there's, there's things where cycling probably has a bit of an edge. There's clearly things where, where it has a bit of a challenge. We've just, you know, we've just talked about the physical challenge of moving from race to race as a team. In the best of times, it's hard enough logistically to sort of move from race to race and be able to satisfy a calendar. But a calendar that has, you know, I, th I think there's a day in October where there's three major races all taking place at the same time in different parts of the world. So that itself is going to pose an interesting logistical challenge for a team, never mind when you layer in the potential quarantining and public health situations in each country. So you've got that added layer of complexity in the sport of cycling that you that you probably don't have in most other sports. Um, so uh, there's going to be ups and downs, sort of pros and cons, you know, compared to other sports. Coming out the other side, what's going to be interesting, I think, is that, you know, that what we're seeing with, with the situation at the moment um, is that what it seems to be doing is, is accelerating trends that were already happening. Now that seems that's as true in society as it is in sport, you know, people working from home, people traveling less, people, you know, the advance of robotics in industry and, and all of that sort of stuff are all being advanced at a much greater rate as a result of this. If you think about the, the, the big trends in sport around, you know, fan experience, second screen, um, uh, you know, sustainability of sport, um, participation, whether it's solo versus group participation, you know, etc. You know, whole the whole area of esports. So it's all being accelerated. If we think about that sort of acceleration of trends into the sport of cycling, what's going to be fascinating is as we come out of this, are we going to find that not having the Tour de France in the middle of summer, actually people think, oh, that's interesting. Why do we have to go back to having the Tour de France in the middle of summer? There'll be hundreds of, you know, there'll be hundreds of reasons why we should, but, but, the, but because, you know, the, the, the cycling calendar, the race calendar has been the subject of much debate across the sport for a long time, this forced change to the calendar there will be those who will come out the other side asking the question well why do we have to go back to how it was does this allow us the opportunity to take a a real deep hard look at the calendar uh could does this give us the opportunity to to, to build a fresh approach to the sport from a business model perspective so you know how how cycling comes out the other side is is going to be a really fascinating conversation a really fascinating thing to observe as we as as we go through this because you know we probably come on to it but you know cycling is cycling is a very big sport globally in terms of numbers of fans interested in it in terms of countries participating in it 
but probably punches underweight in terms of its global economy. Does, does this actually, strangely, create an opportunity for the for the cycling world? Yeah, you make you make a good point about the the testing environment we've kind of been given at the end of the year. One one thing that I felt when I saw that calendar, I was slightly disappointed. I thought this this was the opportunity for a welter, a three week tour that kind of gets pushed at the back of the year, gets some interest, but it's not it's not in the limelight to reinvent itself a little bit and throw it, throw a one week welter in throw, throw a cycling calendar where all the best riders were at every race. I think, um, I think it'll be interesting to see if we do get any learnings from it, but who knows what will actually come out the other side. Do you think, do you think teams will struggle financially heading forward? It's, it's a, it's a concern of mine is how a sponsor or a benefactor or whatever you want to call a rich individual that sponsors a cycling team will sign off on yet another multi-million dollar check. Do you think that'll continue? So I think you have to go to the, to the essence of why, why brands, why individuals, um, undertake sponsorship at all. So it's a, for me, it's a purpose-driven debate. Uh, for sure, it's about awareness and eyeballs, and you know, building, building, building your brand, and, and, and you know, building the awareness of your brand. But you know, at at the sort of highest level. But beyond that what's the real purpose are you doing it you know directly to drive sales of your product are you doing it to 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 build awareness in some cases are you doing it as part of a social strategy rather than you know community social strategy rather than a directly business strategy um are you doing it for vanity and that's certainly the case in some in some instances um ultimately it's a it's a purpose driven conversation as to why sponsorship takes place and then on the other side you know how you then activate that sponsorship is critical to 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 whether you generate a return on your investment or in or more more critically a return on your purpose so absolutely cycling because it has lots of eyeballs you know 500 million plus people around the world say that they follow professional cycling in some form or another now that's a massive audience but um but it's a pretty basic number you know the bigger the bigger question for most sponsors should be you know does does the audience, you know, can I, is that the right audience? What, who makes up that audience? Who is that audience? What's the make, you know, what, how do I use my sponsorship of an individual team or an individual event or an individual rider? How do I use that sponsorship to talk to the audience that I want to talk to? And increasingly, again, this is a sort of another example of, of COVID probably accelerating these trends. Increasingly, 
um, sponsors want to know precisely who they're talking to by getting involved in a sponsorship and it's not just even in sport across the board but you know we're here to talk about to talk about sport in general and, and cycling specifically so those cycling teams those cycling events those riders who can provide sponsors with more detail and more analysis and more knowledge about who they'll be able to reach through them will be the ones that will come out the other side with a with a strong proposition and the strong ability to continue attracting sponsors those who are unable to do that are going to struggle no doubt about it certainly in the short term certainly in the medium term you know in the short term you know it, it, marketing budgets are being you know either withdrawn entirely or you know or, or certainly reduced now we can have an existential discussion about whether actually now is now is actually a good time to be increasing your marketing budget or not but the fact remains you know you know dollars are dollars are in short supply at the moment people are hanging on to their dollars rather than spending their dollars so um so on that basis you know if you're looking for new fresh sponsorship you've got to be very very clear about how you're going to help your your sponsorship partner deliver on their return on investment and return on purpose and if you can do that then it's going to make it a lot easier for the for the chief marketing officer to 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 sort of to understand and to be able to justify the spend on a on a sponsorship than if you just make kind of woolly promises that that their brand is going to get seen by lots of people because you know my brand can get seen by lots of people by doing all sorts of things that are probably going to cost me a lot less than sticking on your riding shirt or on on the side of your bike or whatever um so yeah so i think i think i think there will inevitably be winners and losers as there always are you know in life as there always are anyway those winners and losers could well be extenuated as a result of this but ultimately those the, the winners will be those all those those rights holders uh who are able to show very clearly and demonstrate very clearly how they're going to help their partners deliver on that return on investment and that return on purpose so so i think it's about being a lot you know having a lot a lot more of a partnership approach a lot more honesty between the sponsor and the and the rights holder as to what the sponsor is really looking to achieve have you seen any cycling teams do that or show promise that that is that's emerging within their offering hmm. that's a great question uh i haven't i personally haven't directly but that doesn't mean that they're not doing it it's it's that's largely because that's not really the kind of area that i'm personally operating in so what i what i have seen is that um i have seen a number of uh rights holders in the sport whether that's teams or you know or, or or indeed events that are 
certainly starting to segment their audience, have a lot more knowledge about their audience. And, and, and that knowledge about the audience comes from being able to authentically engage with their audience. So those teams who, you know, who build their own brand, who build their own content with you know engagement with their audience who are able to understand who their audiences are are definitely uh, going to be you know far ahead of the other teams um you know a, a, as we go forward i think you know i said i said a little while ago to somebody else in a conversation a bit like this that i can see the role of the chief commercial officer in sport moving much more towards being about um, marketing and brand of that particular rights than, than, than being about selling sponsorship and broadcast um, deals. So I think previously the chief commercial officer has probably been more on the sales side. And I think as we go forward, they need to be more on the kind of the brand and the marketing side, because actually, you know, if I'm, you know, I, I want to, I, I need to know as much as I possibly can about the audience, you know, for my brand, whether my brand is a team or whether my brand is a race uh, or, you know, or if I'm an agent, whether my brand is, is the rider themselves. Um, because in order to, you know, the more I know about that, the more I can build up that brand, the, the more likely I am to attract future sponsors and therefore keep my revenue pipeline going. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a good question to wrap things up is longer term, what are the key factors that the sports needs, that the sport needs to possess to, uh, for its continual progression? So I think uh, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great wrap up question. I think that, um, so if you think about if you think about other sports, pretty much any other sport, but you know, if you take, you know, if you take the sport of soccer, obviously a big sport for us here in Europe, you know, the, the soccer season has, you know, typically starts in August or September, depending on which European country you're in. Um, so it has a start, uh, it has a middle and it has an end and at the end, you know, in, in, in the in the English Premier League, uh, the team that has got the most points wins the league. The team with the least points is relegated from the league and, you know, the, 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 the positions are then defined. So it's very easy to be able to say, you know, in in any given season, who was the best team? Uh, in golf, you have a start, a middle and an end, the European tour, you know, wends its way around the world. And it's quite hard to, to follow to a degree because not all the participants take part in all of the events. However, there is a kind of, there's a point system that is, that is certainly not straightforward but there's a point system so that any point in time in the season you can you can determine who according to the point system who's the best player on the european tour and then at, at the end of the season 
they kind of have a final. It's called the race to Dubai, and they have a final. And the, the you know at the end of that, you know the the best golfer of the season is crowned. And you see that across all sports, whether it's team sport or individual sport. There's a there's a kind of there's a bit of a a season narrative. What you've got in cycling is slightly different so you know there's parallels with golf in that it wends its way around the world and not all the participants take place in all of the events there are you know the sort of parallels with tennis in that you've got the majors you've got your grand tours and then you've got a bunch of other events which have varying degrees of importance um Define that sort of degree of importance is defined a bit by legacy, a bit by sort of you know prestige, a bit by brand, and a bit by importance. But it's for anyone but the most hardcore cycling fan, it's very hard to follow the season. Um, and yes, you have a world championships every year. Um, but the winner of the world championships is not necessarily the best cyclist it's you know it's it's like any world championship in any sport really it's it's kind of the best the best person who peaks for that particular event so i think i think there is there's definitely something around um creating an easier to follow narrative in the sport in terms of in terms of sorting things out from that perspective i think um i think as well as that i think um being able to explain the sport to people who are not real aficionados and i definitely include myself in that so i'm i'm a sports fan first and foremost and i'm getting more and more drawn into cycling but it's still quite hard to understand what's going on in an individual race, uh, you know, and why is it on this, you know, I, I get that, you know, a mountain stage, you know, requires different sort of um, d different techniques than a, than a sprint stage, for example. I get that. But, but, but why and how and what does that mean? So I think I think there's a piece around being able to make it more accessible for you kind of your everyday your everyday Joe sports fan. And I think um, I think probably that you know the other piece in there is is around. Um, is is probably around the fact that 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 the sport you know it is very is very you know that does require those different skills so again if you look at cricket you know there is a system it's highly complicated there's an intent there's a, probably an insane algorithm behind it but you know there's a kind of who's the best bowler who's the best batsman who's the best fielder you know in cycling Who's the best climber? Who's the best, you know, GC rider? Who's the best sprinter? You can kind of do that, but there's no league table. So I think I think 
I think all of those things go towards making it a more accessible sport for the average Joe sports fan. And, you know, I guess my, my, I guess what I'd, where I would end is that, you know, as I said earlier on in this conversation, the sport of cycling has something in the region of half a billion fans around the world. And yet you, the economy of cycling is probably worth of the sport at least is probably worth a billion dollars maybe a little bit more but but not much more you know if you add up all the broadcast contracts all the revenues of all the teams all the sponsorship contracts it's a probably a billion ish perhaps a little bit more globally for 500 million fans whereas you know the sport the nfl has probably 500 million fans maybe even less globally you know population of the us plus you know people around the world who follow the sport so let's let's say it's about the same and yet if you add up the revenue of all the team the 32 teams in the nfl if you add up the broadcast contracts if you add up the sponsorship contracts it ain't a billion <laughs> it's an awful lot more I mean, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, tens, potentially even hundreds of billions of revenue in the NFL economy. And, you know, I'm not saying that, that they're, of course, they're not directly comparable sports. Of course, they're not. And of course, you know, the NFL as a commercial economy has been, you know, has a 40 to 50 year head start on cycling. But I guess where I end is that the potential for the sport of cycling is clear. I'm not saying that, you know, in five years time, it can be a $50 billion economy, but the potential to me is clear that if you've got 500 million people around the world who are sufficiently interested in the sport that they, you know, self-identify as being a fan of the sport, then by definition, you've got a massive opportunity there. Well, thanks, Tom. That's a good, that's a good note to end on. Give everyone a little bit of um, optimism heading forward. Uh, and thanks for your time on the podcast. Alex, I've really enjoyed it. I, 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 I too could have chatted for ages on this. It's, it's only my diary that's sort of suggesting that I, I have to draw this to a close, I'm afraid. But I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed the chat. And, um, you know, thanks ever so much. That's good. I'll just hit stop.